Welcome to the Mini of Life, where philosophy gets personal. This podcast is a series of conversations between Dr. Susie Ferrarello and philosophers from around the world, exploring the ever-persistent question of what is the meaning of life, from an intimately personal perspective amongst other topics in philosophy. Our host, Dr. Ferrarello, received her PhD in philosophy from the Sorbonne University in Paris. She is an expert in phenomenology, ethics, moral psychology, and ancient and contemporary philosophy. Dr. Ferrarello is currently a professor of philosophy at California State University, East Bay, and she is also a philosophical counselor. Hello, everyone. Uh, today we have uh, the great pleasure of uh, hosting uh, the presentation, the interview, the presentation of uh, Jonna Bornemark. Uh, she works at Southern Thorn University in Sweden. Uh, what to say about her? I mean, I invited her because uh, I, I I had the pleasure to work with her and to come in contact with the messages that she uh, uh, she put through in the world. And uh, I I would really like to know her better and to share with you. Uh, my knowledge of her, uh, she worked on uh, uh, Eros, uh, philosophy of religion, uh, uh, pregnancy, uh, uh, animals, and in particular horses. So, I mean, an array of research is uh, really wide. And uh, thank you, Jonna, for being here today with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, uh, I don't know, I would like to start our conversation about um, asking you what are the messages from philosophy that uh, you care more, more about. Uh, so I know that uh, um, you are often guests of radio programs in Sweden or, uh, uh, you know, divulgative uh, programs for, uh, for philosophy, not necessarily only for philosophy. What are the messages that uh, today you feel are more important for the audience? Hmm. This is a very big issue. <laughs> you can take it from wherever you like. Yes, I think um, I have several aims. To begin, mm -hmm. I have uh, my two latest books. They were a sort of philosophical uh, critique uh, against contemporary society and how we organize uh, work, actually. Uh, and uh, uh, a critique against uh, fundamentalistic rationality and focus mm -hmm. on activity and what we call new public management, etc. And this, um, so I wrote about the immeasurable in relation. Hey. Yeah, hey, please uh, tell us uh, something about that. Uh, what's the problem with measures? Uh, what do you think with numbers? Uh, yes. Actually, there's no problem with measurement yes. as such. But there is a problem when you think that everything can and should be measured and that when it's only real, if you may, can measure it, or, or actually if you do measure it. So this is the problem. But we also live in very dichotomous times. So when you say that you're interested in the unmeasurable, people immediately question, don't you like measurements? And, and you're against measuring? It's like, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> I said that's not all there is to the world. And right. in um, Sweden, we have, ha there, there is a very huge experience among so many people that um, our systems 
are, are too uh, rationalized mm -hmm. uh, that they can't use their judgment. They only have to follow manuals and that they become, well, machine-like. Mm -hmm. They're not, their human capacities are not asked for. And this, now I'm talking about like teachers, doctors, yes. nurses, people in elderly care. I mean, um, professions that really demand a human presence. And so, so this tension, I actually, I, I, coming back to your uh, main question here, um, when there are tensions, experiences that are under uh, verbalized, Mm -hmm. That is present in many fields. I also think uh, this way about pregnancy. It's mm -hmm. also an experience that uh, so, so many people have. Uh, well, we're all born to begin with. Um, and many of us have given birth. And yet it's a quest, uh, an experience that is not taken into account in philosophy, in the way we understand what life is and so on. And so I understand also that as an underverbalized area. And I mm -hmm. think this is my task. This is my task to pick up on these uh, experiences, try to verbalize them, try, try to show what is going on within these. I think this is my profession. And I, my, my job is not to talk to other people that have read the same books as I have in like an ivory tower and right. write for this audience. I, I can do that. And of course, we need to do that as well in order to, to kind of um, explore. Uh, well, I, if I, I read uh, Nicholas of Cusa, and then I need to have a room where I can discuss Nicholas of Cusa with others that knows about Nicholas of Cusa, sure. But I can't stay there. Mm -hmm. And this is why I like to do uh, stuff in media and write for a, a much uh, broader audience, uh, because I think it's, it's my job, actually. And also, one last thing, I think it's really interesting to see where, in which medias can you talk about philosophy? Mm. Mm -hmm. I've, I've also entered, like, um, to begin with, I was in the, we have one um, uh, radio program called The Philosophical Room, which is oh, like the uh, philosophy yeah. show in, uh -huh. in Swedish media. Uh -huh. And of course, I can talk philosophy there. But I, after that, I started to kind of accept invitations from very different kind of medias that aren't really philosophical and, and try to talk. I only accept if I can talk philosophy somehow. <laughs> uh, and, and they want me to do that. <laughs> and uh, it's actually, uh, sometimes it's difficult, but m my, my experience is also that um, there are angles that we learn in, in humanities Mm -hmm. that can be connected to, to themes everyone is interested in. And we can kind of turn it around a bit and look at it from a different angle, connect it to an existential dimension, a metaphysical dimension, do something more, uh, see what's really in it. So yeah. I do think we as a profession, we, we have a capacity that is also underused. Can you say that in English? Uh, not used enough. Good for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I, I can completely relate to what you're saying, and I'm really glad that you're doing it because, uh, yeah, there's not so much space often mm -hmm. left for uh, this uh, verbalization uh, activity. I mean, what was the most difficult topic uh, or concept uh, 
for you to verbalize for the larger audience. So what do you think? Hmm. Actually, uh, maybe it was pregnancy because it mm. took me 20 years to write the book. <laughs> 20 years. Oh. It started 20 years ago when I was actually 22 now, when I was pregnant with my, my first son. Uh -huh. and my experience was, I, I tried to write about it in, in uh, using my philosophical tools. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I try, and I was a student back then, and I, I tried to... to um, um, use the language that existed in my academical environment and mm. I failed I failed so hard it was so bad and I, I was so frustrated oh. and then actually what I did was to write some poetry because in poetry I, I and it was not for publication of course it was uh -huh. just I needed to verbalize this uh -huh. uh, yeah. and, and then some words here, some words there, a sentence here, and it, it didn't matter if it kind of uh, was an argument. I just needed to get it out. Yeah. And then I kept doing that. Uh, I've been pregnant three times, <laughs> and every that's the only times I've, I've written poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and slowly I could move from poetry to essays. We, uh -huh. we, we had more of a, um, well, a line, Mm -hmm. more of an argument and then in this book now finally I'm writing theses in the end I, I want to kind of make a standpoint of this course how, how we can end it to kind of yeah um not just say nuanced things there is this and there is that but also say this means we should think in this way uh -huh. so, mm -hmm. <laughs> and what do you think is the main concepts that uh, uh, you came to realization that were buried the uh, behind the words and then you manage to bring to words mm -hmm. what are the main ideas messages maybe uh, when it comes to words i like to invent new words uh -huh. uh, when it comes to this um, formalism effectivity i talked a lot about empaperment uh, mm. that we we're, we're, all knowledge should be take place in uh, text or in mm -hmm. numbers, uh, you, you can't have just knowledge in the body or in the judgment or in sensibility or, or mm -hmm. in emotions mm -hmm. that is uh, made totally invisible in the systems that we live in. Mm -hmm. And I uh, and there uh, I, I felt that I both needed to formulate new words. And I did this, of course, in Swedish I, I, to, to give new concepts is so much easier in your mother tongue, of yeah. course. Mm. Um, but also then to, to give power to certain uh, concepts that are already present. So I worked a lot with professional judgment. And that is a word that everyone knows that we need a doctor or a teacher with judgment. I don't want to go to a doctor without judgment. <laughs> right? Uh -huh. <laughs> we all understand that sounds dangerous. <laughs> so, so in a way, we know judgment is uh -huh. important but what I did um, is to, to kind of go into but what is judgment then and I have my, sort of my own uh, theory about that but one more word I, I could um, connect to where I really felt the need to formulate a new concept is, is actually trying to verbalize what you do when you give birth and yeah. you know we, 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 you read the text about this. So yes, 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 yes. Please tell us. <laughs> yeah. um, because giving birth, this was one of the things that I failed with in the beginning when I tried to write about this. I was writing about it in, in terms of passivity and activity. 
Mm. And neither kind of works because uh, when the labor comes, in a way I'm passive, sure, because these powers also, they don't really come from me, that they come from somewhere far beyond any kind of me. Um, I mean, you, oh, you froze? Connection problem. Oh, now you're back. Okay, I could hear you, but uh, yeah, the connection was a little unstable. Yeah. Yes, sorry. I, I'll, but I think I know when you froze, so I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, see. Well, in giving uh, birth, the labor so very much come from beyond my, me. It, 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 I'm not in control. I'm not. Um, it, it's not even that it comes from like my body. The experience of the waves of labor is that they sort of come from life itself that goes mm -hmm. through all these individuals, one after exactly. the other, mm -hmm. in a way, from before we were humans, yeah. so to say, until yeah. through the mammals into the humans and through me moving forward into the future. Yeah. So this is a power that is really, I'm just a part of this. And at the same time, I'm not passive either. Mm -hmm. Because I, I'm not this, uh, in Swedish we have this, uh, it's very easy to play with the words because we have the active and passive giving. Now you, yeah, now you're moving again. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> in, in Swedish we have these uh, words where you're being, um, uh, a male doctor is delivering the baby and the ah. woman is passive in that wording whereas mm -hmm. you have to, to give birth is of course active and mm -hmm. I found it problematic that we have to choose either to be active or uh, passive Completely. And, and, and here when the waves come when the labor comes I can uh, breathe through it uh, to stop it <laughs> to, to, to not make it push uh, or mm. I can <laughs> you say keep on the moving and, and push forth the baby. Yeah. Um, so this means I I I am I'm not passive. I I, I I'm giving birth. Yeah. But it's here I felt the need to talk about pactivity. Mm -hmm. So uh, co connecting, taking the power that comes from life itself, but using it, doing something with it. Mm -hmm. So this term. Uh, then I felt more comfortable in relation to, yes, to me, this describes uh, mm -hmm. the activity of giving birth. Um, the pa it's a pactive movement. And then I started to think about, well, riding a horse is a pactive ah. movement because ah. the, the, the movement comes from somewhere else. I'm not, uh, I, I don't have, if I'm on top of it, it's the horse that has the, its feet in the ground and it's moving us forth. But yet I can use this, uh, these powers, this movement, I can give it a certain direction. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm not passive, it's a pactive movement mm -hmm. in the same way. And also just in a dialogue, I, I need to listen to you. I, I can't decide what you're gonna say, <laughs> but I can take it on. Uh, hopefully I listen to what you say, I can uh, use it and I can pactively send it back to you. And also as cultural beings, we are pactive. I haven't decided uh, where I'm born or um, mm -hmm. what my, my tradition has done earlier. 
-hmm. happen to be born into a misogynic and racist uh, culture. It still lingers. We're not mm -hmm. rich. Oh, well, we, yeah, we belong to the Western society. It, 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 it yeah. lingers. It still lingers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's there. And, and also in relation to this sort of, of cultural heritage, I am pactive. I am part of this tradition, but I can do something with it. I can give it a different direction. So yeah. I have enjoyed uh, using that word and it pops up in many different um, situations. I find it useful to, to also, it means I, I'm not either a victim or a perpetrator. Mm -hmm. I, I can be pactively part or something completely and it means responsibility and it means bring uh, continuing at the same time this is a great example of verbalization that uh, of the verbalization that you mentioned before thanks and it's something that is real even if you can you cannot measure it you cannot put uh, a number of on it. You don't decide the success of a delivery or uh, a, the beauty of a ride on, on your horse based on uh, a number or a measurement is something active. That mm -hmm. also shows us how we are nature and subjects of these natures at the same time that, you know, yes. we are and, part. Yes, and it's of course also a nature culture concept which kind of ties these things together and i think also in relation to like sexuality or gender you can think in this way i am born a certain way but i can do stuff with it which also of course uh, depends on the technology available you wrote also about the sexuality and eros so speaking of uh, speaking of which uh, uh, you wrote about uh, uh, fantasy, erotic fantasies, uh, and uh, yeah, you thematized the problem of gender in the language also of fantasies. Uh, was it difficult to write? Uh, uh, are you happy with what uh, you achieved in that writing? In that article? Yes. Um, actually, that, that, the article you're thinking about, it, is quite, it was quite a while ago. It's a bit uh, ago. Uh -huh. Now, yes. <laughs> Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Of course, it would have looked different if I wrote about it today, but I'm happy with it. When it comes to the erotic and sexuality, uh, it's interesting from a philosophical point of view because you can't write about it totally in a totally dry way, mm -hmm. uh, in a very analyzing, totally outside of the atmosphere, the stimmung of, of the mm -hmm. theme. But you can't mm -hmm. write porn either right no you can't <laughs> no that wouldn't be philosophy to kind of go into the sexual mood and just be horny and, and but you can't be totally without it either yeah and, and, I, and I kind of I, I kind of find that tension exciting ah uh -huh. yes because I want to uh, and here uh well writing porn is for like sexual arousement and the text I'm writing is not does not have that uh, quality purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I still have to go into uh, what it feels like, what that atmosphere mm. is like, 
Mm-hmm. I have to explore how sensibility works. I have to write and be very close to it. And after uh, this article, uh, I, I also wrote uh, actually poetry about it and uh, thematize it in a different way, pretty much in, in the same way as, as in relation to uh, pregnancy, that by writing some sort of poetry, some sort of very closeness to the phenomena. I, I need to, you know, to I be know. very close. And then I can back off and look at what mm-hmm. happens here. And, and the, the analyze or the uh, theorizing or, or the distanced gaze is not, um, it doesn't say everything that is there, but it says something and it says something different. And to me, I also want to bring that gaze into saying some, it's not just about sexuality. It's about how human belongs together. It's about uh, what sensibility is. It's about what, it's about metaphysical questions. Mm-hmm. Pretty much like in, in pregnancy to me, it's uh, all about what kind of logic we use. So I don't want to kind of stay when I talk about erotic, it's about erotic and pregnancy is about pregnancy and horses is about horses. <laughs> I want to, draw metaphysical insights from these uh, practices. What do you mean by metaphysical? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe I should take that logic stuff uh, as example. That's logic, but it still says something about, um, I I mean, uh, metaphysical, logical, epistemological, maybe. Um, So so basic philosophical uh, questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to, to logic in pregnancy, we often start out from the um, Aristotelian x equals six. Sorry, may I use, may I do, I, I know this. Absolutely, uh, go ahead, uh, yes. And a paper for those of you that are listening to this, <laughs> but I will explain what I do. But for those that uh, have it on image, this is easier. We have a logic of, of x equal x that is so basic for uh, Western formalized thinking and also I think it it uh, says something um, what is real what is real is what can have an identity that is kind of closed within itself it mm-hmm. doesn't really relate to y or q or other stuff uh, first we have an identity and then that can relate to mm-hmm. other stuff so we we live very much with this um, idea uh, how things are, are separated from each other and this was one of my problems then when I started to think about pregnancy, because mm-hmm. it's a lie. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. In pregnancy, X doesn't equal X. I, I don't, um, there is no self. Suddenly me, I, I am in relation to the fetus. I'm a landscape. Yeah. I, I'm a landscape without the border in, and, and I'm um, warmth and water and the limitation and nurturing, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So so it's a very different thing. Uh, What am I if I'm a a landscape? And what is, is the words doesn't work here because it's not a me that is this in relation to the fetus. It's a system of its own, which it's very difficult to count. Are we one? Are we two? Are we three? Uh, I, I don't really know. So here I used Nicolas of Cusa's ideas about logic instead, which, well, to to make it very short here, uh, one thing sort of 
uh, goes into the other. And now I'm painting for those very strange blobs where, think about the lava lamp where, mm. where uh, you, you have, uh, in Swedish I talk about it as blobs actually, mm. uh, which is separated from lava and then melts into another. Mm-hmm. And Kusa has, has a very uh, good terminology for this sort of relationships uh, where uh, simply we do, the, the, the reality, I would say, is analog. It, it, it is, uh, um, what do you say, uh, degrees, mm-hmm. uh, coming, uh, growing. This is why it's so difficult with uh, abortion, actually much more difficult than we sometimes pretend it is because there is no clear line when to abort and when not to. No one would accept that I aborted my 20 year old son, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would be murder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so so where to draw the line? And because there there is no, the birth is not like, it's the same child before and the day after and the day before. So there is no clear line. And today in Sweden, we draw the line when, um, when the child can uh, survive uh, outside of the womb. But ah. that is also using technology. And suddenly we, ha- we have a technology that uh, can save an egg and a sperm and make that into a child. Mm-hmm. Technology improves, right? Uh, does, would that mean that there is, are no abortions anymore? And still, I, abortion is important. Children should be loved. Children should have a room, a space. We need to have space for our children. And especially this uh, slowly becoming. So, so here we have a logic of slowly, of analogy, whereas the um, law demands a line. Mm-hmm. So when I draw these blobs that are all connected to each other, language sort of cut them off from each other. And that can be really important. And this is what humans do. We use language to sort of cut off the blobs. <laughs> and, and, and it's especially if more, the more formalized the language, the more we do it. In poetry, language can be more blob-like, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> That's why verbalization in different difficult areas needs to somehow start with poetry to me. Mm-hmm. But this also, sometimes we have blobs that we haven't, that we haven't really thought about. That, that it becomes invincible, uh, invisible, invisible. <laughs> Invis- not invincible, sorry, <laughs> invisible. And, and then we sort of really need to, then uh, language is a power mm-hmm. and we can kind of show, no, there is something here. We can mm-hmm. point by means of language. So language is important. Language is, this doesn't mean that language is bad. Language mm-hmm. is moving into an X equals X. But mm-hmm. the starting point in the logic of life, which is fluent. And I think this tension, th- this is what I mean. <laughs> this was an example. <laughs> th- this is what I mean when I say that um, these specific experiences, like pregnancy, like horse riding, like, uh, like sex, um, there are philosophical lessons to learn. They say something about what reality is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is true, what is real. These mm-hmm. are the questions. These uh, very abstract also and big mm-hmm. questions, I think, should also be thought about from these specific uh, experiences. Absolutely. And you cannot uh, 
see them yet. I mean, in your article, you were talking about how male-centric is the discussion of pleasure and eros, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we still don't know what uh, a female fantasy, right, can be in pornography because uh, pornography is mostly male-oriented and philosophy might help to make, to create that language for uh, that invisible uh, area. Or in your beautiful article on, uh, again, uh, Kusa's logic and pregnancy, yeah, uh, you showed very clearly how the principle of non-contradiction of Aristotle doesn't hold in pregnancy because uh, you can be a person and another person at once. You can be A and B at the same Mm. time, Yes, which is uh, a beautiful logical contradiction, but we need to be able to entertain this reality Mm. because that's exactly what it is. Sorry, I saw that. No, that's very nicely put and and good uh, examples. I think philosophy is here to kind of keep us in touch with reality because language can kind of take off and, and we take it for granted and we think that we know what we're talking about and we don't see the, uh, what is kind of steering us and, and which phenomena becomes really big and obvious and others that becomes invincible. Uh, sorry. <laughs> invisible, it's okay. It's kind of <laughs> Maybe awkward. they want to be invincible. They too. want to become <laughs> invincible, but they are very invisible. <laughs> <laughs> but they are very invisible, yet. In the end, yeah. they are invincible because they are there. And, and uh, so I do think that philosophy has a very specific task uh, here uh, and a job to do that, that will never go away also because the world is continually new and language continually kind of gets old. <laughs> Completely, yeah. We need to change our thoughts uh, like we change our clothes uh, because uh, yeah. at, at some point uh, they stink and we want to be <laughs> fit. for this world you know moving the focus a little uh, speaking from woman to woman uh, you know personally you look to me like uh, the successful woman do you think uh, we women have to choose uh, either our job or uh, our family uh, either our passion or uh, our um, you know traditional life it seems Mm. At least uh, the pressure I feel in uh, keep going uh, into especially philosophical research uh, that at some point I have to make the choice. Uh, What's your personal experience? How was it for you? Do we have to make this choice? Can we have it all? Or it's like uh, Prometheus uh, (laughs) uh, defying the gods uh, if we do so? Mm. It, I mean, it depends a lot about uh, what sort of state we live in. Mm. How much help, what does child care means? Uh, we, we have a, a paid maternity leave for, uh, well, uh, you can do it till like 18 months. I can take it a bit from the beginning and say um, that it's a political question to a large extent. How do we organize the society when it comes to, to um, child care, when it comes to like maternity leave? In Sweden, we have, uh, well, you can um, make it into like 18 months, not full paid, but uh, enough to, to live on. And then we often share it. So the man and the woman, if we are in a heterosexual relationship, uh, take like half each. Uh, and a lot of dads do that also uh, in Sweden. I mean, 
the question should go both ways, right? Normally, at least two parties involved in, in the bringing up a child. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so it's not just a question if a woman can be both a professor of philosophy and a mother. Uh, I, I, the, the, um, the father of two of my children, he's also a professor of philosophy and no one would ask him that question, right? Right, so that, yeah, yeah. It, it just shows that uh, it's a political question. Uh, and it is, of course, a, a, it's a question we need to keep fighting for. But nevertheless, I would say, um, it, it is still uh, also beyond that politics. It's not an easy question because uh, spending, um, if you want to like make a career and you want to travel around, and uh, I know a lot of women also have to kind of um, not spend as much time with their children as they would like, even if they have the help. And here, of course, you need, maybe we need to think about what an academical career is. Mm -hmm. Is it really important? How many articles do you need to produce? <laughs> How much teaching should be in there? I mean, it should be. I think it's we can. Humans are amazing because we can organize our lives in so many different ways. Of yeah. course, we can organize our lives in a way so that we can do uh, philosophy and raise a child. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we can do that. But and uh, we also. But I think we need to kind of. Um, Think about it in both ends. How uh, would that's a, like Husserl? He, he, the stories about Edmund Husserl there uh, in the beginning of the, the 20th century is that he like worked all all around the clock. As all his woken time, he, he was writing and was always writing from the beginning again, trying to find the beginning anew. And um, is this the only way to do philosophy? Or mm -hmm. do you gain more insights by spending time with your children, mm -hmm. seeing the nature from the eyes of an autistic four-year-old might yeah. give you more philosophical insights than spending hours after hours in front of your desk. So what is good? What is quality here? Uh, maybe spending time doing other stuff makes you a so much better philosopher, a much more relevant philosopher. Mm -hmm. So... Um, but then again, I must say that it is um, when it comes to pregnancy and uh, I think philosophy can change a lot by picking up on that experience because throughout the history, not only that men have been the philosophers, uh, but also that the women that have been in philosophy are the ones that didn't get any children. Uh, the nuns during the medievals for example, and also in the 20th century, well, Hannah Arendt, uh, Simone de Beauvoir, uh, Simone Weil, all the big philosophers in the beginning of it, it, it are the ones that never got any children. And I think like Lucy Rigaray and Julia Kristeva would be like uh, the first ones that uh, they had the children. Uh, Lucy Rigaray is very private, so I'm actually not sure about that, uh, but she writes about it and, and Kristeva writes about it and she had a child. Uh, so it influences philosophy once. And, and now in the 21st century, I we, we see sort of a wave of philosophers, both male and female, writing about pregnancy. Uh, so, so I think we are part of a, a movement where this experience also can influence what, you can't just say that 
x equals x and a human being is this autonomous being because that's not where we start that's and that experience stays with us that's uh, that's so so true i wonder if uh, um coming back to what you were saying before if this influenced also the areas that we verbalized i mean we fostered a kind of a worldview that is very much based on people who had a totalizing relationship with philosophy focusing on that piece of paper trying to write and write and write in the ivory tower and spending little time outside their world with their family with their beloved ones or so on and probably we didn't verbalize enough of what it is about familial love about daily exchanges and and so on probably yeah this and also much. I think, um, to, to me, philosophy is always political. And if you're locked up in the ivory tower, you're, you're not in contact with which questions are important today and uh, uh, to, to really do something in that political field. And, and, to, and with uh, philosophy being political, I mean that exactly what we pick up on, Kusa has this wonderful expression of, of quiditas, the whatnesses, we live in a world that always expands beyond our horizons. The world is always bigger than our knowledge, right? So, yes. So what we pick up, what we have this desire to thematize is always uh, political because it, it uh, shapes what the world looks like. So political in that uh, mean, uh, in that sense, that it's, uh, we are part of creating a world that becomes this world rather than that world. So here I think it's both a, uh, <coughs> sorry, a responsibility, but also um, a need to kind of have this uh, sensibility that is connected to your desire. And here, of course, we need to be different from each other and have different themes and pick up on different things and also have then really come from different backgrounds to have, have uh, different family histories, have, have not just come from the same uh, class, uh, same color, same gender. Then we become much poorer. And biodiversity is a problem on any level of our society, again. Mm. Uh, hence, my question for you is, uh, is the diversity then just uh, a label? W what is diversity for you? What does mm. uh, it represent? Uh. Yes, yes. And, and I think sometimes at our universities today that yeah. uh, we have more of a diversity. There's a lot of women in Sweden. They are, uh, we have much more uh, female students than male now. Also mm. among the PhD students, we have more uh, female PhD students in Sweden than male uh, right now, <laughs> yes. And it's uh, continuing in that direction. And that is, of course, dangerous as well, uh, yes. in, if it kind of continues, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> um, so so it, that sort of diversity we reach, there's also more people from other ethnicities than uh, the classical Swedish. So we have more, uh, and there's definitely more homosexuals or openly uh, homosexuals and other sexualities. So in a way, the diversity looks better on the paper. Mm. And yet, uh, it, it sometimes can feel that everyone behaves the same, have the same social skills, 
uh, during the 19th, when I was a student, there were, you know, professors with uh, rubber boots and a plastic bag and the hair going like this and just being very strange people. They would never get that far today. Uh, so uh -huh. Where are our strange people that is also maybe be autistic, for example. Uh. So we lose the, the um, neurodiversity when we go for another kind of diversity. So I think it's important to keep on uh, we're never finished. We, we need to think about uh, what sort of social norms are we creating now and who fits into them. And how can we, social norms are, we, we can't live without them uh, and we can't live within them. <laughs> we need to kind of bend and poke and make it, yeah, make a fuss right. <laughs> continually. But so, as I said, the, the whole, uh, to me, Actually, diversity and uh, multiplicity and differences has a, a metaphysical value on mm. its own because it, it makes the world as such uh, richer. And, it, uh, and also, not, also, it is rich. The world is already rich. So, so do we want to see it or not? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's also about um, yeah, <laughs> truth. Uh, can we embrace this multiplicity, this uh, vastness that the world is, that existence is? And yeah, th then we have to keep um, not locking it up, but have we? Yeah, I think you understood my... <laughs> Absolutely. And I can't agree more with, uh, with what you're saying, actually. Look, I saw that uh, some years ago now, you were the panelist for uh, the Nobel Prize, uh, for discussions around the Nobel Prize. How was that experience? Uh, how is the uh, sense of diversity there? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what I was thinking, because, uh, you know, the Nobel Prize is uh, another normative way in which we recognize the excellence mm -hmm. of the reality of our society. Yeah. Do we have some kind of biodiversity there? Mm -hmm. uh, what's your feeling? Yes, actually, it was a very interesting experience. Uh -huh. The theme was not knowing. Uh, uh -huh. which is connected to, I, I talked a lot about and wrote about not knowing. So, so that, that was sort of why I was there. Uh, but uh, I must say the whole event gave me a bit of a bitter taste, mm. actually. I, I met a lot of, of really uh, nice people and, and I spoke a lot, to, especially with two women of color. Uh, um, and, but I couldn't get rid of the feeling that they were invited as some mm. sort of alibi, because mm. the power are in the hands of uh, others. And also uh, at the, the dinner, you know, this big fancy Nobel mm. Prize gala dinner, which is like the, the party of the parties. <laughs> and of course, this is, it's, I, 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 I come from more of like a working class background. We don't, we're not poor, but we don't have that sort of money. But, and to see money in this way, in this scale, I'm just <laughs> not used to it. And it's such an upper class uh, mm. thing, of course. And also a lot of the people the, uh, in the audience, they, they have sort of bought their way in there to this dinner. Mm. Others have uh, others are alibis, but but it's a certain order, and I haven't really formulated. I, I maybe I shouldn't say these things. Th these what I say now is 
totally based on, on feelings and experiences that I had. Uh, uh -huh. it, it's not an analyze of who was there and what color and, and representation, blah, blah, etc. I haven't done any of that work. This is just my uh, impression. Yes, this is just my impression. Mm -hmm. But it was, and, and at the same time, it's, I'm, I, I love it. The, the parts that I really loved is where science gets uh, elevated, get, gets, this is so important. Look, exactly. we gather around these scientific explorations and, and we do this. And, and it's uh, fantastic and it's huge. And I really enjoyed that emotion and, and that sort of uh, stimmung. Mm -hmm. that the sacrality of knowledge and science, uh, it's yeah. uh, somewhat kept there, uh, although with some contrasts apart. Yes, of course. And it's very difficult not to think about the Bourdieu, Bourdieu uh, analyze about uh, social, uh, cultural capital and, and economical capital and how they sort of translate into each other. All this play of power, it's always there when it is this sort of high prestige environment. Of course. And uh, well, that's the way human works <laughs> sometimes, even though we can be differently. <laughs> I think this also in a way stays. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely see it. It's, it's still part of our job to break that categories too and see where, uh, where it leads. Look, mm. time flew by. I'm getting ready for my last question. It was a great pleasure uh, talking to you today. Uh, my last ritual question for this podcast uh, is always, uh, what do you think it's the meaning of life? Do you think life has a meaning? What's your take on that? Uh, my take is that the meaning of life is to create meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, life is meaningful. If life is not meaningful, you die. Life as such is meaningful. And the, that meaning can be uh, moving with your desires. I mean, we have desires, emotions, that they point the way, that they point what they, they say what is important and humans uh, kind of uh, move away from that and think well that's just the body it needs to be something bigger something abstract mm -hmm. and I, I think sometimes we we get uh, a bit too smart for our own <laughs> convenience in a way or, or too abstract uh, abstraction is, is kind of um getting rid of the body, getting rid, yes, staying too brainy. Uh, mm -hmm. This is what I meant by too, too smart, um, too mm -hmm. brainy. And I think uh, if you don't feel a meaning in your life, you need to just uh, be sensitive to, to sensibility. Where is the meaning? Where mm -hmm. are my enjoyments? Mm -hmm. How can I also make that maybe larger, start working for it? The enjoyment is, of course, not only in, in stuff like eating and uh, hanging around with your children or having sex. Uh, enjoyment is, of course, in relating to other people, changing the, the way we understand the world, uh, the enjoyment of uh, words, of uh, finding... Um, it, it's such an enjoyment in, in verbalizing stuff that you you yourself haven't really understood mm -hmm. before or, or have just been this dim thing and suddenly uh, it gets a shape. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's another uh, short answer to your question. <laughs> it's to to uh, be part of a shape creating. I mm -hmm. like shapes. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and shapes in movement. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's really beautiful. <laughs> to be abstract. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very concrete and sensuous as well because it comes yes. from. Uh, from real life, from, from our guts. And uh, somehow there's the miracle of uh, giving a shape to all this confusion that uh, we have inside. Yeah. Yeah, it's really And giving a shape, a shape to yourself, giving the shape to a thought, to, to another baby, to a piece of art, to, to a meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to, yeah, you were mentioning before being able to look at the world through your four years old. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's magical because it, it gives you the chance to live more than one life. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, makes you wider, bigger. Thank you so much, Jonna. It was uh, a great, great pleasure to have you here today. Great pleasure to talk to you, Susie. This podcast was funded by the Faculty Support Grant at CSU Spain. Follow our social media accounts for episode updates, highlights, and other behind-the-scenes materials. 